welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And today we are kicking back on our theme of mystery radio dramas. Um, that was uh, sort of what we uh, were uh, intending to talk about uh, and be featuring this month before we got distracted by the awesomeness of the Audi Awards. Um, as we speak and as we release this podcast, it is right around the solstice, June uh, 2013. Um, this will be right when the Here Now Festival is occurring out in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, HereNowFestival.org. Um, if you're in the city, this is uh, not too late to probably come out and get some uh, listening, screening events. Um, this is going to be the world premiere of The Cleansed Season 2, um, the uh, premiere broadcast in the United States of Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, um, produced by Dirk Maggs for BBC Radio 4, um, and a number of other uh, great shows. Um, a whole panel of audiobook narrators will be there. Um, there will be a showcase of Ogle Award-winning work, as well as Mark Time Award-winning work, and um, that of the stuff you'd find in the ZBS catalog, and I'm proud to say that I'll be uh, featured in that one uh, as well. So really just a fantastic event um, happening this weekend, um, third weekend here in June, June 21st through the 23rd on Kansas City, Missouri. Um, for my seat, uh, it's a beautiful summertime in uh, Maine, and we are going to go to wintertime in Brattleboro, Vermont um, for the mystery story we've got today. Um, this is a piece that we did back in 2010. Uh, my own Final Room Productions uh, released this. Uh, we had the opportunity to work uh, with the Wall Street Journal uh, to get coverage uh, of this story, and um, it is really a pilot of a project that it may still get off the ground one of these days. Uh, it is adapting the work of Archer Mayer, um, a writer from Brattleboro, Vermont, um, in his Joe Gunther series. Um, so this, what you're going to hear is a piece called Open Season, um, the first episode of that. It's still available as an audiobook, and in fact, uh, my colleague uh, Bill DeFries, who works with Audio Comics Company, uh, narrated um, some of the later Joe Gunther stories. Um, what you're going to hear is the first episode in our radio drama adaptation of it, starting with a response to a woman who is spooked by a stranger entering her house and the scene that Joe Gunther must explore. Um, so here, uh, some mystery for you on Radio Drama Revival. Final Room Productions presents a Vermont audio drama podcasting production, Open Season, Episode 1 by Archer Mayer. My name is Joe Gunther. I'm a lieutenant with the Brattleboro PD. Brattleboro's a quiet town, usually. And like most Vermont towns of any significant size, anointed with a downtown of red brick buildings, virtually unchanged since the industrious 19th century, and mostly clinging to slopes and ravines overlooking three converging waterways that used to power the place's mills and small factories. There's the usual suburban sprawl to the north and south, and the obligatory seedy neighborhood or two, like most towns. But usually what we handle is break-ins, domestic disputes, car crashes, that sort of thing. We don't get too many killings in a town this size. In fact, the last one had been three years ago. Until I got the call tonight. 
Which is how I found myself at a cruiser in a snowstorm the week after Christmas, riding with a patrol officer who had just moved up from Florida and was afraid of going more than 15 miles an hour in the snow. Slippery? I think so. You probably wouldn't. <laughs> I haven't gotten used to this stuff yet. Yeah, Florida will when you get to the foot of the hill. It'll give you more traction. Sure. Come on, come on, come Don't on, come worry, on. we're not in a hurry anyways. From what I hear, everyone who's going to die is already dead. So I heard. What did she use? A yeah, shotgun. Ah, messy. Yeah. You have a good Christmas, Lieutenant? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, me too. I went back home. Expensive, but the wife and I thought it would feel strange having Christmas here. <laughs> that made me laugh. Nothing seems stranger to me than Christmas in Florida. Yeah, turn left up here, Clark Avenue. You got it. Yeah. Thanks for the ride, Ron. Anytime, Lieutenant. Have a good evening. Yeah, I'll do my best. I found myself before a dilapidated house, sway backed and peeling. It was 2.48 a.m. The day, despite the darkness, had begun. Hey, it's Dan, the newspaper man. Oh, on the trail? Uh, yeah, I just turned on the scanner. What happened? Yeah, you tell me, I was asleep 10 minutes ago. Can I tag along? Nope. Morning, Paul. Hi, Joe. Sorry to get you out of bed. That's okay. What happened? Old lady kept getting obscene phone calls over the last few days. The guy finally said he'd visit tonight and do to her what he'd done to the cat. She waited for him in the chair and blew him away when he opened the back door. What did he do to the cat? I'll show you. On the bed. What? Over here? Under the quilt. Dolls. Christ, George, you could have told me. Gross, huh? Like weird. Who slices up a cat like that? Someone who needs therapy. Mm. Anyone call the state's attorney? Do unto him like I did unto you. Uh, spare me. Spare him too. He doesn't have my sense of humor. Ugh, it's JP here. Yeah, I recall the SA. He should be out here by now. JP's out back taking pictures. Squad first. About 2.20. She called it in herself. Neighbors claimed they didn't hear a thing. That's the bull, of course. She let loose with both barrels at once. Must have made the whole block jump. Who's the body? Don't know. Haven't searched him yet. To be honest, I didn't get too close. Makes the cat look good. Mm. And, uh, where's the woman? In the kitchen. Paramedics with her. She all right? Yeah, a little shaky. Okay, well, I'll see her last. All right, let me show you the scene. Hi, JP. Check out the shoe. On the top step, lying on its side, was a loafer. Expensive glove leather, designer leather. Not your average terrorist apparel. And that's the guy? Jesus. Six feet from the foot of the steps 
surrounded by a dazzling circle of flood lamps, lay the body, flat on its back, arms and legs outstretched. For a second, I thought of when I used to lie like that in the snow as a kid, making snow angels. But here, the gentle arc formed by the arms was uninterrupted by a head. A tall man in a pea jacket rose from his crouch by the body. Alfred Gould, the regional medical examiner. Oh. Hi, Joe. Uh, hi, Al. Anything to add to the obvious? Nope. Like to talk to the old lady if that's all right. Sure, be my guest. JP. Yeah. Were there any footprints before all this no, happened? No, no, just his. I got shots of it all. I'm wrapping it up out here, but I still gotta check out the gun. Hit yeah. the lights when you're through, okay? You got it. All right. Catch you up at the station. Yeah. Heads over there. Hmm. You're getting a kick out of this, aren't you? You're the one who saw combat in the service. Give me your flashlight so I can get a better look. Al said the blast atomized the guy's neck. Oh. His word, not mine. He said it was kind of like pulling a tablecloth out from under a bunch of plates. It just sort of fell off when the body went sailing into the wild blue yonder. Got it. Now I'd like to look at the body. There wasn't much blood visible. The ragged chunk between the man's shoulders lay at the edge of a small black hole of melted snow. The whole thing had an almost tidy air about it. I realized then I was probably standing over an aquifer of blood spread out between the snow and the earth below. Whoever this had been, he was no pauper. The blood-spattered scarf was cashmere. The long coat, camel hair. The pants, fine wool. Layer by layer, his clothes never dropped below $50 per item. Inside his jacket was a fine leather wallet, which had, besides the usual documents, ten crisp hundred-dollar bills. I pulled out his driver's license. James Phillips, Orchard Heights. Ring any bells? From the address, I'd say we didn't travel in the same circles. <laughs> now this is an interesting tool for a break-in. What is it? A dog leash. And here's something else. Slow album. What? For all of this prissy little poodle. Some of them are just the poodle. A couple look like this guy and the poodle, and yeah, this must be their house. And his wife. She doesn't look happy to be there. Weird. You ever have an album of your pet? In your wallet? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder what our Mr. Phillips was up to. Yeah, what's the old lady's name? Thelma Wrights. Thelma Wrights. Uh, let's see what she has to say. <laughs> she was sitting in the kitchen, thin, frail, and beaten. Her white head bowed and shimmering under the harsh fluorescent glare. The paramedic from Rescue Wink was making notes at the table. I took a chair like the one lying in the hallway and sat facing her, elbows on my knees. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed the state's attorney enter the room and lean against the wall. 
rights. <laughs> My name is Gunther. I'm another policeman. I know you've explained what happened, and I know you must be tired, but I was wondering if you could go over it again, just for me. Do you have somewhere you can stay, by the way? A son or a daughter, perhaps? No. My daughter doesn't like me. Um, hey, George. Yeah. Call Susan Henderson at the retreat and ask her if Mrs. Wrights can spend a few days here until she gets her feet back on the ground. Yeah, you got Thank you. No, no problem. No, I'm sorry about your daughter. Oh, I lost her a long time ago. I don't know why. I called her when all this started. I was so frightened. But she told me phone calls like that happen all the time. She said I should be flattered. Well, what were the calls like? Oh, I couldn't repeat them. They were dirty, very dirty. He also um left those index cards, see, over on the counter. These? <laughs> God, these things are bad enough to embarrass an Alex meeting. Why didn't you call us? I did. Did you tell them the notes had been left inside the house? They weren't. They were phone calls. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not making sense. No, no, no. no, no my fault. I, you mean the notes didn't start until after you called us? Right. And when you explained about the calls, you were told there was nothing we could do about them? Yes. I'm sorry about that. So... And he attacked your cat. Yes. Poor Albert. What had he done? What had I done? Poor Kitty. He was all I had. <laughs> when did you find him? Tonight. I'd stayed out all day. I knew the notes would be there. A new one showed up every day. I couldn't stay inside. I was so scared. I went to the library, I went to the movies, to the store. I tried to stay out as long as I could, but it was cold and places kept closing. And then it snowed. I had to come home. I had nowhere else to go. And that's when I found Albert. And that's when he called, right at the same time as if he were standing there seeing everything I did. He said I wasn't home when he visited, and that's why Albert died. And then he said he's coming back later, tonight, to do the same thing to me. And when I didn't say anything, he said, What's wrong, Thelma? The cat got your tongue? It made me mad, so mad. I told him, You come, I'll be here. And I got my husband's shotgun out of its box and I waited a long, long time. And then I killed him, that bastard. <laughs> it's okay, just let it out. Uh, he, he was carrying these photos. Do you recognize him? Mr. Phillips? That's Mr. Phillips. You knew him? 
Yes, I don't understand. From where? From jury duty. We served together. He used to pass that very picture around. He loved that dog like I loved Albert. I, I, I don't... He was nice. He was the last one to vote guilty. He said he couldn't condemn another man, no matter how horrible it was what he did. Oh! Oh! It's not your fault. You know that, don't you? No. And she wasn't the only one. Orchard Heights is an exclusive developer's dream come true. Once a farmer's rolling field off Orchard Street west of Brattleboro, it sits high enough to afford a view and to overlook but not actually see Interstate 91, which cuts between it and downtown. The field consists of five low hills, each crowned with a ranch-style house perched above a narrow winding street with token trees planted tastefully here and there. The effect is so carefully manicured that even the mountains, the snow, and the distant woods look artificial, as if some low-key, expensive Hollywood set were awaiting the arrival of the camera crew. I turned off Orchard Street into the Heights. I didn't need to check the house number. I recognized it from the photo in Mr. Phillips's puppy album. It would have been hard to miss in any event. It was the only one lit up like a bonfire, complete with strings of Christmas lights. A tan brick, one-story affair with columns in front and a carport on the side, as unique to Vermont as to Pasadena, California. dog photo. She looked from me to my cruiser. Oh, damn. Oh, I knew it. She turned on her heel and disappeared into the house, leaving me to step inside alone and close the door. The festiveness of the living room struck an incongruous note. The fire was burning, the tree lit up, poinsettias and evergreen boughs abounded, strings of cranberries and popcorn laced back and forth in front of the mantelpiece. Christmas was already a week gone, but it was preserved here like a museum of American culture. He's dead, isn't he? I'm afraid he is. Stupid dog! I couldn't tell if she meant her husband or the poodle in the pictures, but I wasn't sure how to ask. Mrs. Phillips. What? What was your husband doing out there? Getting the dog. I waited for more to come. None did. 
but I decided to change my approach. Could I um have a glass of milk? Milk? Yes, of course I should have offered. It was a dazzling kitchen. Industrial-grade appliances, every pot and pan with a copper bottom or a French-made high-gloss paint job. Knives worthy of a Swiss packing plant gleamed along magnetic wall strips. Yards of thick, unscratched cutting board counter space stretched in all directions. If the living room was family circle, we were now in gourmet magazine. By chance, I'd hit upon the perfect therapy for her and I wasn't about to screw up what dumb luck had delivered. But I was starting to regret I hadn't ordered breakfast. Uh, Mrs. Phillips. No, no, it will be just a moment. I watched as she butchered a lemon with a butter knife, overflowed a carafe of milk, and loaded up a tray without any of it, which she then carried three feet and almost dropped before me. Sugar? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, just the milk. <laughs> oh, of course. I was silly. I forgot. Do you feel you can talk a little? Yes. I I'm sorry about the mess. <laughs> Don't worry. You should see where I usually go for breakfast. Uh, why was your husband out there tonight? He went to pay the ransom for our dog, Junior. Jamie was very attached to him. He even carried around pictures. I saw those. How long had the dog been missing? Several days. Long enough to make Jamie really frantic. It was my fault, I guess. He didn't say that, but it wouldn't have happened with him. What wouldn't? Junior wouldn't have been stolen. Oh. Jamie always took him for walks, you know, on a leash. It always seemed so stupid to me. I mean, we're almost out in the country. I used to just let him out when Jamie wasn't around and call for him after he'd done his business. He always came back. Well, when he didn't the last time, I had to tell Jamie what I'd been doing. Was he upset? He was stunned. Not angry with me, though. He never was. But that dog was like... We don't have children. Hmm. And Jamie didn't have any by his first wife. We haven't been married very long, you know? <laughs> Just four years. And the kidnapper called? Yes. Yesterday. He told Jamie to deliver a thousand dollars to a certain address or he'd kill Junior. Was there anything more specific about these instructions? A uh, time to go or a certain door to be used or some special clothing Jamie should wear? I don't remember the address, but he had to go to the back door at two in the morning and just walk in. He wasn't supposed to knock. There was no mention of clothing. The thousand dollars didn't have to be in mixed bills or old currency or anything like that. No. How did he die? He was shot. The house he went to belonged to an old lady who had been terrorized by threatening phone calls. She fired before she even saw him. Don't tell me he went to the wrong house. No, uh, I'm afraid he didn't. Well, then what are you saying? What happened? My guess is that the old lady was used to kill your husband. I can't say for sure, though. Like I told you, it's only a guess. This just happened. I'll need some more time to nail it down, but you asked, so I told you. I would appreciate your not sharing that with anyone, all right? Oh, of course not. Did Jamie ever mention the name Velma Wrights? Is that the woman who shot him? Yes. 
he... He may have. I, I don't remember it. They served on a jury together? Oh, no. That was the worst experience of his life. He couldn't sleep. He almost stopped eating. He had to be treated for stomach troubles. I thought he was getting an ulcer. That trial nearly did him in. What trial was it? You don't know? The Kimberly Harris murder. Oh. Oh, my God. I heard about that case until I was blue in the face. Every single thing he heard in that courtroom he brought home to me. He went over it again and again as if he were judge and jury wrapped into one. I remember Thelma. He never told me her last name. I never thought I'd forget any of them. She was the one he accused of going with the crowd, of not having a mind of her own. First he persuaded her to vote his way, and then when the majority voted against him, she switched without a second thought. For months after the trial, it was all he could talk about. You mean Thelma? No, all of it. Thelma was just a piece. He didn't have it in for her. He pitied her. He said she'd been following men's orders for so many years that she was totally incapable of original thought. It was just the whole thing. And the guilt. Guilt? Well, he voted with the majority, too, in the end, didn't he? He caved in just like Thelma, after all that anguish. He hated himself for it. He said he should have stuck by his guns and caused a mistrial, or whatever it's called, you know, when the jury can't make up its mind. Mm. Was this trial still an obsession with him? <sighs> no, you didn't know, Jamie. I guess it used to be, but that word isn't right. It's too negative for him. I mean, the trial was a negative thing, but that was the exception. Jamie went from enthusiasm to enthusiasm. Even the trial was kind of like that. He got totally involved in things, to where you'd think he was becoming a little nutty, and then he'd focus on something else. Most of the time they were harmless enough. The dog, this kitchen, Christmases were big. I think even I was one of them. All of them, or I should say all of us, were possessions. We weren't discarded after our time. He treated me at least as well as he treated Junior, and that's saying a lot. But we just weren't the latest acquisitions. Jamie gave his love to me and to Junior and to building projects and even to that dumb trial. If things had turned out the way he wanted, he'd have turned the hearts of every person on that jury, just like Henry Fonda did in Twelve Angry Men. The fact that he couldn't do it really bothered him a lot. He ended up betraying his own convictions. Why didn't he force a mistrial? <clears throat> well... Uh... He was a social creature. If he couldn't change someone's mind after a good argument, he'd quit. And he wouldn't bear a grudge. Well, a man's future hung on that good argument. Was the man innocent? <laughs> a good point. I suppose not. Where is Jamie now? He's been taken to Burlington for an autopsy. They have to do that by law. Uh, they'll bring him back probably by the end of the day or tomorrow at the latest. Will I be able to see him? Uh, yes. In fact, uh, someone will want you to just to make sure. Uh, Mrs. Phillips, he was pretty badly hit. His face is okay, but I think you should realize that you won't be seeing someone who just looks asleep. It's not like the movies. Of course. Mr. Did you tell me your name? Uh, I probably forgot. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Gunther. Uh, Joe Gunther. Thank you.
Mr. Gunther. Mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. Phillips, is there someone I can call to come stay with you? Uh, even someone from the police department, just for a while? You might want somebody to talk to about the weather, if nothing else. Thank you, Lieutenant. I'll, I'll be fine. There are people I can call if I need them. Okay. Well, good luck, Mrs. Phillips. I had been bringing bad news to people my whole professional life and had pretty much run the gamut of reactions. Mrs. Phillips was a standout. Jamie Phillips had been a wise and lucky man to have made her one of his enthusiasms. It had been a hell of a morning so far. A dead man, a slaughtered cat, an old woman, and a widow. And it wasn't nine o'clock yet. I headed home to get the pajamas from under my clothing. Then I'd worry about the rest of the day. Open Season was written by Archer Mayer and adapted for audio by Fred Greenhalgh. The novel Open Season is available in print from AM Press. Open Season was produced and directed by Fred Greenhalgh, starring Bill Dushreese as Joe Gunther, Christopher Price as Patrol Officer, Patrolman, and JP, Philip Hobby as Katz and Gould, Burke Brimmer as Sergeant, Kim Dakin as Wrights, Christine Marshall as Mrs. Phillips, Field Recording by Randall Farr, Original Score by James Monroe. Holiday Music by Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to the Mad Horse Theatre Company and Vermont Audio Drama Podcasting. This has been an audio pilot of Open Season. To learn more about the project, visit Vermont Audio Drama Podcasting at www.vtadpodcasts.org. That's v-t-a-d-podcasts.org. And to learn more about Final Rune Productions, visit our website, www.finalrune.com. That's F-I-N-A-L-R-O-N-E dot com. All right, that was the 2010 Final Rune production of Joe Gunther's Open Season, um, Episode 1, uh, finalrune.com. Uh, if you want uh, more, of, of course, of our stories, um, I don't always say it here, but um, yours truly is also a producer, and we have dozens of stories there. And, of course, our upcoming uh, major release, The Cleanse Season 2, uh, coming out in just a couple more weeks. It's going to be very exciting, and you'll hear, of course, all of it here on Radio Drama Revival, all about it. Uh, so that is all they've got for this week. Um, do check out herenowfestival.org. Um, also check out our website, radiodramarevival.com. Deep, deep archives there of material for you to listen to, uh, radiodramarevival.com. Um, follow us on Twitter. Hit up at Radio Drama. Um, go to the Facebook page, 
facebook.com forward slash Radio Drama Revival. Um, find us on Stitcher or iTunes. Search Radio Drama. Share our work with a friend or leave a tip in the tip jar at radiodramarevival.com. Uh, that is a wrap for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share the show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates an on-air radio at WMPG-FM. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com's Labor of Love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.